Welcome to the Healthy Body, Healthy Mind podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kinghorn, co-founder and CEO of HBHM. We're a carbon neutral wellness brand and we're focused on the well-being of our customers and the planet. We produce a range of products designed to support a healthy lifestyle. This podcast is for our community. We'll have a range of experts in the health, fitness and wellness space designed to help you all improve many aspects of your life. For listening to this podcast, you can get 15% off our products at hbhm.com by using the code hbhmpod at checkout. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Healthy Body, Healthy Mind podcast. On this week's show, we have record-breaking ultra runner Damien Hall. Damien has represented Great Britain and competed in some of the world's toughest races, including the UTMB, where he finished fifth, and where there is an award-winning film documenting this journey. He has broken and set multiple fastest known times, including the Pennine Way, the Paddy Buckley Round in winter, the Southwest Coastal Path and the South Wales Traverse, including many more. Just a couple of months ago, Damien set his latest FKT on the Wainwrights Coast to Coast, which is a 185-mile route from the Irish Sea on the West Coast to the North Sea on the East Coast, completing this in 39 hours and 36 minutes, a record which was held for over 30 years. Damien is a huge advocate of sustainability and promoting living a carbon negative lifestyle, which I am keen to explore further on this episode. So welcome to the HBHM podcast, Damien. How are you doing today? Cripes, I'm doing very well. Thank you. Thank you for all of that. Blimey. Where did you read that from? My, my book? I th- I, well, I'm going to be honest. Yeah, it was from <laughs> your book. So I thought, well, that's that's the best place to go. Hopefully that's uh, accurate because you never know what's written about people online. But if it's your own bite, if it's your own book, then hopefully that's all. Uh, it's right. Yeah, it's mostly true. Mostly true. Yeah. I think it's mostly true, but maybe one of them's gone now. Maybe one of those FKTs is yeah, gone. Yeah, that's the thing lately. I've, I've You know, the last year or two, I've set a few records, but I've lost a few as well. It's uh, It's a bit <laughs> annoying. Other people are good at running and keep stealing my records the rascals so well one of them in particular was obviously the Pennine way which uh, you've got a bit of a friendly rivalry with john kelly well it was friendly not anymore not anymore (laughs) um (laughs) yes absolutely um yeah i I don't know don't know how much people know but yeah we both last year we we both both ran it and the record stood for 31 years and and he broke that record. Then I only gave him uh, I only gave him eight days to <clears throat> oh pardon to to have the record, and I and I I ran it a bit faster. And then this year he came back and ran it even faster, significantly faster, three and a half hours faster. So that put me in my place. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, that's all been quite exciting. Feels like a little while ago now, but um, um, I, I I haven't discounted trying again. But there won't be there won't be time this year, I don't think. But um, and I think with what's going to be tricky with that one now is, yeah, the conditions really do make a difference. It's not like it's sort of, um, I don't know, it's not like a UTMB or, or possibly bits of the West Highland Way, actually, where where it's, you know, fairly good trails, fairly good ground. Um, you know, the, 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 the lead up, the two weeks beforehand really do make a difference because it could be really boggy and that could really slow you down or it could dry out. And it only seems to dry out kind of once or twice a year. Um, but yeah, haven't discounted another another little pop at that one. Oh, well, no, that's great. So 
Um, well, I wanted to. I wanted to start. Obviously, we could talk about running all day, um, which um, we can do. But I wanted to chat about something first. That's uh, something we're both very passionate about, yourself and us as a business, um, which is your promotion of you know being carbon negative. So, you know, you you definitely put it out there that you're a carbon negative running, and you do you know, various things that I'm sure we'll dis- discuss um, in regards to living a carbon negative lifestyle. So, so how did all that start for you initially? Oh, well, um, I suppose like most people, you know, I love being out in, in beautiful places and, and you, you feel like you care about the planet and, and the environment and things. And, and, and then I suppose it was when I saw the first protest by Extinction Rebellion, maybe two years ago, you know, they maybe look into kind of the science of it and how urgent this thing is. Um, and it's just beyond dispute how how alarming this 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 stuff is. Um, you know, scientists collectively say we have to cut global emissions, um, that's carbon and, and, and equivalent gas emissions. Um, decade. Um, you know, half, practically half the world's emissions this decade, uh, and that absolutely is not happening. Um, they're still going up. So, I mean, that's hugely alarming. As a parent, uh, I'm just horrified by the idea of what my children and their children are going to think of us, basically. You know, um, we, we had a chance to, you know, not let the planet, I'm not sure which words are appropriate on the, on this podcast, but, you know, not, not stuff the planet up. <laughs> well, I was going to go, you know, a bit more extreme than stuff, but, but you know, we're really messing the planet up. And we've got a chance to redeem some of that, but we have to act now, absolutely now. And and governments, um, I mean, it's really encouraging in the business world. You see some corporations, some businesses, you know, really sort of pioneering and being brave um, and, and some some not. Uh, but also governments just being really slow, especially our own one in the UK. And without being, you know, too conspiratorial about it, I, I think we probably all know why, you know, they're often funded by you know, fossil fuel people and, 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 and it's just a huge problem for them and, and they're only in office three or four or five years and yeah. why not leave it to the next people? Um, and, and it's probably going to, you know, possibly hurt the economy in the short term, but actually it doesn't, well, you know, I'm not an economist and we're speculating a bit, but I've read a few books where people seem really confident that, you know, there's this whole green economy waiting to explode, yeah. just needs a bit of help to get going. Um, and yeah, I feel really angry and stressed about it. If I'm honest, I feel, I feel that I do, those feelings are directed at our government mostly. Um, and I suppose almost, so I've been a bit involved with Extinction Rebellion, got involved in some protests. I, I suppose I just didn't know what else to do. I wanted to do something. Um, I just felt a bit, um, um, yeah, helpless almost. So, so I thought, well, at least I could look at my own carbon footprint. That might be interesting, you know, just to try and understand the factors the, the, um, a bit more. So I consulted with a, um, a sort of carbon, carbon consultancy called Our Carbon. Um, uh, and yeah, it was sort of quite interesting and straightforward. And they sort of analysed my my emissions, my family's emissions in the end, not just mine. Um, for it's it's on the website actually. My my calculations. Um, uh, what years did we do now? So so sort of the year before last, 2019, um, which was a year. I put my hands up when I was flying quite a bit because I was you know I, I'm, I'm doing international ultra marathons. Um, you know I flew to America. I flew around Europe a bit without really knowing how bad that was. Um, and that, that opened my eyes a bit to, to, so our family's footprint, you know, I can't remember the exact percentage, but a huge percentage of that was simply my flights. Um, and then we, we set a target for last year, which would be a huge reduction. Um, again, it's all on ourcarbon.com. 
um, a huge reduction. Um, and it was quite, in the end, I suppose, with the lockdowns, almost no one was flying. So we all probably did quite well last year. Um, but yeah, I, I could talk about this for hours and I'm, I'm reading books and I'm actually writing a book on sort of sustainability and running um, coming out early next year, hopefully. Um, so, I mean, it's just such a huge subject. Um, and uh, yeah, and there's another debate, I guess what I've touched on there is simply, should we, you know, should individuals be sorting this out or should, you know, we need this system change, you know, mm-hmm should governments be sorting this out um and of course it looks like governments won't sort it out unless we unless we pressure them or make changes ourselves um but from a running perspective yeah i mean cutting flights are a big one for most most runners um and then at home it's for most people it's going to be diet and energy um they're, they're probably the three big ones for most people and that'll probably be about 75 percent of an individual's footprint if they want to you know i don't you know, I, th- I think we all need to be a bit more responsible, a bit more conscious, yeah. but I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers or preaching like, um, you know, it's up to the government to, to sort a lot of this out for us. Um, but um, I don't know, I suppose I feel more reassured that I'm doing a little bit I, and I feel like I could be angry at the, at the yeah. government or, or a company if I've done my little bit as well. So um, I suppose, yeah, I went vegan as well, which is actually, I found really good fun and really easy. Um, but the easiest one th- thing people can do actually is, is just changing your energy supplier to a renewable energy supplier, yeah. such as Bulb or Ecotricity, um, do it a few minutes online. And that actually could be quite a significant impact in reducing um, someone's emissions. Um, but yeah, you've got, you've got me started now. I could ra- rant away for ages, as I'm sure you could as well, because um, I'm, I'm ha- yeah, I'm you guys do a great you job. Do. You know, that was, uh, <laughs> that was one of the main reasons that we connected in the first place was through the well, we are, we're not, we're not quite, quite claiming to be carbon negative yet, although that will be the, the aim, but carbon neutral definitely. So I think we both share a lot of passions on that. So, and I think another, another thing that I saw, obviously you, you've mentioned that you're you know, cutting the flights, you've mentioned renewable energy, you know, ball, that's you know, who I've changed to as well. But there's what, another thing you're doing about trees, is it trees for tea, trees for teas? Um, you're an ambassador for trees for teas. Oh, yes. Yes, so there's a good friend of mine, actually, a record-breaking sort of fellow ultra runner, Jim Mann. Um, cut a long story short, he, he co-founded a company called Future Forest Company, actually. Um, but within that, there's a branch, a branch pun, pun not intended, um, called Trees Not Teas. And I, I, I'm an ambassador for them, so I probably should have mentioned them before. Um, <laughs> and if I'm, you know, if I'm honest, my wife, my wife works for them as well. Um, but the whole idea there is simply when we're signing up for races, I mean, the, the other subject I didn't touch on there, runners is, is our equipment really our, our kit our shoes especially um you know we get through probably more kit than than a non-runner and we probably buy more and but also there's probably a bit of a t-shirt problem in our industry where um and t-shirts uh, you know I don't, I don't go on ranting too too far into the weeds but yeah t-shirts are pretty bad actually especially well they're fine if we're wearing them and using them yeah. um but they're bad if they just stay in a drawer or they get chucked away um that's a really big big waste actually and, and it's often in the production of them and then afterwards especially if they're polyester technical t-shirt you know they're going to take a long time to biodegrade and that releases more gases um but trees not teas the idea is they're trying to get you know almost every every race can sign up for free to trees not teas and and it just gives when you sign up for a race it gives you the option do you want a t-shirt or instead you could just plant another tree um and and sometimes some races might do it so you can do both if you want and um uh, but and and Trees Not Teas are, are just absolutely mushrooming out of control because so many races are, are, are into this. Um, uh, and they're, you know, they're making sure they buy all the land they're planting on so that they can 
you know, so that, it, you know, the trees don't get knocked down 10 years later or something. Yeah. Um, he's buying land up in Scotland at the moment. He's moved to Scotland, Jim has, to sort of, you know, really, really, it's, it's wildly popular. And it's, you know, um, that's just a nice thing that's coming out, of the, come out of the running world. I mean, planting a few trees. Well, they're not planting a few, they're planting lots, but um, millions, I think. Um, um, you know, that in itself isn't going to solve things, but it's a big step. Yeah, but yeah. also it's a nice little message that I think is easy yeah. to easy to pass around um and yeah one other thing runners could do i suppose is just just yeah be, be a bit more careful with kit you know consume less but maybe even at races ref possibly refuse a t-shirt or a medal if, if you don't think you're going to use it um that that's another thing and, and while i'm on the subject there's another great company for those who don't know called rerun clothing um and they would rather not exist but but if you've got kit that you don't want um, if you send it to them, they they redistribute it to, to people who maybe can't afford running kit, okay. or or even even refugees if if they um, sort of have too much, which which is happening a lot in, in in lockdown, especially you know a lot of races didn't even happen. Um, um, so they're worth looking into, and they sell really good kit really cheaply, you know, yeah, secondhand, yeah. but often really good. So uh, yeah. my wife, I mean, I'm very lucky, I'm sponsored, but my wife has sort of bought kit from them, you know, for very little money. That's very very good kit. So um, rerun clothing are well worth. Well worth a look as well. Okay, so rerun clothing, trees for teas, trees and not teas, trees not trees not teas. Yeah, sorry, trees <laughs> not teas. It's a hard one to say actually. Yes, it's quite common. You'll say teas not trees as well, <laughs> uh, which is the wrong message. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Um, and th so he, yeah, so that the idea behind that is you can plant trees. Well, that's something that we're we're doing as well. So in Scotland also, is um, you know got a lot of land and. Um, planting trees but also you know peatlands and you know heather and all these sorts of things are just you know trying to get as much uh, biodiversity uh, replanted as well just to you know add extra um well just not you know it's more than just trees so it's an exciting project mm -hmm. undertake and you know i'm i'm sure over time when 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 we can we'll you know get a some sort of tree planting uh, run uh, session or something like that um, and, and get everyone uh, get all of our people who work with us involved in doing something like that so um, if you're up well, for that I'll it. <laughs> yeah no good for you it's um no that sounds fun um yeah it's funny isn't it because the tree planting is obviously important but it's it's just a really simple message whereas things like peat restoration just doesn't sound quite as yeah. <laughs> sexy does it yeah. um, you know you can have a t-shirt or you can contribute a bit towards peat restoration. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't so go the same quite, way. Um, but actually that could, you know, in some places is going to be even more important, you know, um, yeah. cause that they can be yeah, carbon sinks. Um, um, but yeah, there are lots of, well, hopefully lots of great things going on. Um, but yeah, good on you guys. And, and I think, I mean, I, I think a lot of people or I hope a lot of people now, are, you know, with, with almost everything we buy or spend money on, um, hopefully we're looking for signs that those companies are, are ethical, yeah. you know. Um, um, and yeah, at the moment, I suppose there aren't many sort of unifying principles like that we can, you know, like a, what am I talking about? Like a standardization as such. But I think, yeah, companies like you guys, you can see that they care about the right things. And to me, that matters. And to me, I'll pay more to, yeah. to, to those companies rather than to a company who I don't think cares. Um, yeah. And ho hopefully that's, yeah, hopefully that's changed. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think a business, businesses can do good um, if they want to. And, you know, consumers are just, are all, it's already starting, you know, people like you are, are leading that message and um, people want to follow and, and spend their money with businesses that are doing good, whether that's good for environment or anything else. And that's only going to get bigger and bigger 
you know, over the next, well, hopefully it's only going to get bigger and bigger over the next few um, months and years to come and we all play a part in it. So, yeah. And just so you just uh, just to go back slightly, sorry, you have measured your own carbon footprint. So can you just remind everyone how you did that? How did you actually measure that in the first place? Yes. So I got this. um, I wanted it to be sort of externally done, you know, so it wasn't just me calculating it. Um, So I got our carbon to um, I'm catching up with them next week, actually, to do to do this year's a little bit, a little bit, a little bit belatedly. but yeah, had a good chat with them, provided them as much sort of evidence as I could, you know, how, how many car miles, you know, what we'll be spending on energy um, for the house. Um, flights is the obvious one um, and other costs. Um, and then they sort of, yeah, analysed that and, and, and suggested, you know, as a family, we're in this sort of ballpark area. Off the top of my head, I can't remember the figures, but they are on ourcarbon.com. It's the yes. sort of my my case study is sort of the example on there. Um but it was within, so Mike Berners-Lee, who, who writes, he's written three books. He's a sort of one of the leading academics in this at Lancaster yeah. University. He's written three books um, on the subject. And his, his recommendation that is an individual should be sort of, what does he call it, a five-ton five ton lifestyle. Um, and we were, we were comfortably within that as a, as a family, which was nice. One, once, once I removed a lot of these flights. Yeah. Um, and so, and then, yes, the stuff that we felt we couldn't, cut out you know some car car journeys are essential uh to, or, or we consider them to be or, or some train journeys etc you know the, the remaining stuff we we did offset that to be carbon negative and i appreciate it's a lot easier for a person or a family to do it than a whole business um so i did yeah i uh, paid some money to to trees not teas and they you know they'll plant they planted some trees and of course offsetting you know it's it's a controversial s- subject really um uh I, th- I think i think most people agree that kind of, if you're just going about your business as normal and just trying to offset everything and, and legitimize, you know, a, a lot of a lot of emissions, then that's not really on. But if you're cutting everything you can, you know, doing what is reasonable, and there are still some emissions, um, then then I, to me anyway, that that's that's fair or fairer. Um, but maybe in the longer term, you know, I, I guess we all hope emissions won't have to. Um, won't have to be a factor um i mean my guilty thing just to be totally honest with this is is i suppose it's car journeys for training purposes you know yeah. i'm i do go to the brecon beacon sometimes which is a sort of hour and a half drive um tomorrow tonight actually i'm going to drive to to snowdonia but i feel i feel awful doing it <laughs> um i'm looking into electric cars a lot at the moment to see yeah. which, um which again aren't perfect but should be roughly hot you probably roughly half in your emissions. Um, I think that was right from, from Mike Berners-Lee's book yeah. um, with an electric vehicle. Um, I don't feel good about that, but, you know, I can't, it, it makes life so, you know, so difficult. Get, well, we all know what it's like looking at, uh, well, I am, so if UTMB is on, I am going to get the train or trains out there rather than fly, but okay. to, get, to sort of get trains to Snowdonia, I can, I can drive there in sort of four, four and a half hours and to get there on the train is is all day it's more expensive you know i've got a drag bag we all know that we all know the scenario yeah. so sometimes i make that sometimes i do that and sometimes i don't um and ultimately this means spending more time with my kids um you know i'll see them in a bit when they get home um and i suppose that i suppose that's the sort of dilemma everyone's going through yeah. so i still drive sometimes but i feel bad <laughs> yeah I, feel bad when I, I suppose it's uh, and i suppose that you know the message from you there is that 
we can't all be perfect. You know, we can't all be doing, we can do everything we possibly can, but it's never going to be perfect. And you're always going to have things that you unfortunately need to do. And that's where the offset and does come in and you can, you know, that you can offset the things that you really, you know, need to need to do, or um, it's hard yeah. to go out and get around it. I think that's why I'm okay with that. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, and there's a book by, I think it's Jane Goodall called The, the Sustainable-ish uh, Guide. And, and yeah. it's, it's that whole concept actually of, of imperfect activism, for example, of, you know, we all want to be a bit greener, but within, you know, no one's gonna sort of, you know, move into the woods and, and survive on, on rainwater and, um, and hunting, you know, foraging for mushrooms and, and give up, you know, give up everything. That just isn't, that's just not gonna happen, is it? So, um, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a big area in the middle where people want to do more, but some of it's not realistic, you know, and yeah. I mean, cars is the classic one. Uh, I think a lot of my friends, who I chat to as well would go electric, but at the moment, you know, they're, they're not all, you know, not affordable to a lot of people. Yeah. The prices are coming down, they're improving all the time. I, I, I'm pretty certain in a year or two I'll have one, um, whether it's more likely secondhand. Um, I guess I'm just researching that, but yeah, I think there's a whole area in the middle. And um, I think, yeah, don't, I would almost say to people, don't be afraid to, well, not be a hypocrite, but like, um, it's impossible to be perfect on this because yeah. emissions are created by almost everything we do. <laughs> So it's it's hard to move without creating emissions really. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'd almost yeah, and just one more thing while you got me on the subject. Um, like when I've done some of these records lately, I've, I've picked up litter as I've gone. Um, now that isn't going to save the planet. Uh, it doesn't really do a great deal if I'm honest. But what happens is when I get interviewed afterwards, in the last one, I, I think I was I was on three BBC radio stations and and even an ITV news station, um, and they all asked about it. And then I can say, I can talk about our climate and ecological emergency. And yeah. to me, that's worth it. That keeps it on the agenda. The actual act I did wasn't, well, I say I did. Most of my pacers did the hard work, if I'm honest. <laughs> um, but that, yeah, the act of picking up rubbish, you know, it's a nice thing to do, but it's not, it's not going to save the, you know, it's not going to save our issue, our problem. Um, but it keeps things on the agenda. It keeps yeah. people talking about it. So to me, that's worth worthwhile keeps the convert keeps the conversation going and if you're you know leading by example on that then you know that's that's all you can do um so you, you also mentioned you know you, you turned vegan as well so was that was that purely down to environmental reasons as well yes yeah mostly mostly i guess you know i love animal i, I like a lot of people you sort of you love animals but chicken is nice um <laughs> and that i guess i lived with that you know, most of my life, as a lot of people do, and always felt a bit guilty about that. Um, and then I suppose when I realised there was a study, I think 2017, it came out, you know, saying the single biggest thing people could do to, you know, um, to, to sort of, as individuals to, to help with this crisis was to, you know, sort of turn vegan or at least, you know, give up red meat and cut down dairy. Um, and I just thought, well, I just thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll try it. Um, and actually, I've just found it really fun um much easier than i thought um and what i find is um chatting to friends runners and non-runners i think a lot of people are kind of you know half vegan or or they've just cut out all red meat or they cut down and i think there's a huge area in the middle there where you know we're not all going to be vegan like that's just you know some people like whether it's cheese or, or something you know too much um but we'll all have to i think we'll have to see especially beef and lamb as i suppose as treats um yeah or 
and we'll just have to use, you know, just cutting down, I suppose. And I think a lot of people, I was at someone's wedding, a very good, a very good runner at the weekend, and she's kind of, she's vegan, but she still has eggs. Um, <laughs> and that, that, to me, you know, she doesn't go around saying she's vegan, by the way. Um, but I know I, through discussions, I realise she has, you know, does all veganism apart from eggs. It, uh, I, and um, and to me, that's fine because she's cut out, you know, a huge. It's a lot. And she was, it's all a lot yeah. yeah, and she was vegetarian almost all her life as well. So if you think of her, her personal carbon emissions from food um, compared to most people will be really, really small. And um, yeah, I think, I think that's probably the way it's got to go is, is that middle ground where, um, yeah, I mean, veganism is probably still quite extreme and you know, fairly extreme idea to most, to a lot of people. Although I must say in, yeah, I've been really surprised in restaurants and cafes, how easy it is to get good, good food and so on. But um, yeah, it's probably that middle ground that's going to be populated by most, I would yeah. say. And so on, on the vegan side, do you think, obviously you did it for, you know, more sustainable reasons, but do you think it's helped your training as well? Hmm. I, I couldn't, I couldn't say that it has. Um, I mean, I wasn't, I, I've definitely got friends who have done that and gone, oh, wow, there's a significant change. I, I can't be sure of that, if I'm honest. Um, I, I, before that, I, I didn't eat much for me. Um, I did like I did like chicken and cheese. Um, I don't, so I don't know if because I wasn't eating lots of meat, it's not maybe a significant change for me. Whereas for some people it might be. Um, and there are a couple of things to look out for. Um, for example, yeah, the obvious one, you know, making sure you get enough protein in, but also getting enough calories sometimes because yeah. you sit there with a you know meat and and is often yeah higher, more calorific than you know beans or, or whatever you're having. And sometimes I've found yeah you have a good feed and then you're starving hungry again by sort of eight or nine o'clock just because you didn't get as many calories in as you thought um but that's an easy fix you just keep on snacking so i you know yeah. i quite like it um and also there are I and mean, i do take some supplements now which um yeah uh, d3 b12 um so people do have to be a bit careful i wouldn't jump necessarily straight into it without some without some decent advice and um but yeah i must have um i think i did it for about six months um uh and then and then after my pen and Way run i did have a really strong urge for dairy actually and i just listened to that for a bit i just thought i want to get healthy again um you know it's a pretty pretty you know kind of <laughs> wrecked it wrecked me a bit that run so so for about a month or two i did didn't i just ate what my body sort of um asked for but then yeah after christmas i went i've been straight been back on it and um uh i can't remember the point i was making actually but um no, I've, I've totally forgotten where I was going with that. But um, um, uh, yeah, it's fun. It's nice. Yeah. <laughs> and fu- fueling, fueling in general. Then, so w- obviously, your 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 nutrition, you're following a certain diet. You're vegan, but you know, on runs, but you know, some of these big ones like Pennine Way, your coast to coast, things like that. You know, what are you fueling yourself with on those? So yeah, I do feel like the coast to coast, which as maybe you want to talk about in a bit, the, uh, the hydration w- was a bit of a disaster for me, but the fueling was actually probably the best, the best I think I've fueled. Um, so I started off, there's some really good companies doing, um, so yeah, these are sponsors of mine, but yes, yeah, Supernatural Fuel, they make four different sort of um, pouches. Like it's kind of the baby food idea, but they're actually much tastier. So they're made for adults. Okay. It's, yeah. You know, you just squid, squeeze a pouch um, and it's stuff like... Um, dates and sesame you know things like that um 
really tasty and and the packets are all recyclable you actually send them back to the company they pay for them and they get them recycled they're not curbside recyclable but they, yeah they all get recycled so they make four different pouches um one of them one of them isn't being actually but three of them are and then uh, another sponsor of mine outdoor provisions do these lovely sort of vegan bars which are um again compostable wrappers um so I started on those i think and sandwiches and it was sort of uh nut butter and banana and uh, avocado and hummus um but yeah here's where it all gets fascinating because avocados aren't necessarily that brilliant for the planet um um oh the whole food thing's really complicated but yeah i mean i've been i did some other challenges where i cut out all plastic waste you know i didn't get anything that came plastic yeah. that couldn't be recycled um and i was quite pleased about that but actually if i do that but then i don't know get some asparagus from peru um all right asparagus isn't classic ultra running fuel but um but avocados yeah aren't if they come from mexico apparently you know aren't brilliant for the planet necessarily um so yeah that's where it really gets complicated that's what i'm trying to look into in my book is like should i actually take that gel uh in plastic that was made locally um that's probably lower carbon emissions than an avocado that came over from mexico although often often the transport isn't a big factor in food but anyway, uh, I just I'm just hinting at yeah how complicated it gets. <laughs> but yeah, sandwiches, and then yeah, uh, there are a lot of pizzas. I was very lucky, vegan pizzas. Um, I merely mentioned to the wonderful Dr. Nikki Ligo, um, you know, what do you think the best way to get rid of get hold of some vegan pizzas sort of en route would be that weren't sort of three days old? Um, and she said, leave it to me, I'll sort it. And then I think she texted four or five of my pacers. And they either made themselves or, or ordered um, uh, vegan pizzas and turned up with them and they went down very well. Nice. Um, and then it was kind of soups. Um, and then it did sort of, yeah, get into the, a few cakes, locally made cakes that were vegan. Um, and there were gels towards the end. Um, and it was sort of, yeah, some, some you know, near coca-cola um obviously you can buy, buy in cans which is better um but yeah i had some of that and some ginger ale um they brought me chips at one point um i think that was it mostly but yeah i did end up on the sugars um but yeah that seemed to be a fairly good strategy for me that going yeah. through all of those the food the food thing's funny when you mentioned avocados there i saw a photo the other day and it was um like pineapple you know cut up pineapple in a pouch so sold in tesco or something and it was uh, the pineapple was from um it was like brazil but it said packaged in thailand <laughs> getting sold in the uk and it's just like what from brazil oh to thailand but then wow. yeah, it's crazy wow blimey yeah but the f- yeah i am finding food and and packaging really quite complicated um but it probably does come back to that simple thing of if you cut out or down dairy you know it, sorry meat and dairy then you're then you're significantly making huge huge yeah. positive dent in your sort of emissions um but yeah pa- and packaging isn't as big uh, an aspect in all of this as far as i can tell um as yeah as meat and dairy and especially beef yeah um but yeah yeah it's com- it's complex isn't it but but yeah you see some of that and that's purely purely ludicrous yeah 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 so well on the on the coast to coast um then because we mentioned it and i obviously want to speak about that um do i just just 
briefly just explain to anyone who doesn't know exactly what it was and why you decided to go for it? Yeah, so I guess after running the Penang Way last year, I was looking for something similar. Um, and a friend, Matt Neal, um, suggested Coast to Coast, which is a 185 mile route. It's not strictly a national trail, but it's a very popular hiking route from kind of one side of Northern England to the other. Um, and there were two things I really liked about it. One was I'd, I'd actually hiked it in the past, um, back before I was a runner. So it had that nice kind of symmetry of, of you know, revisiting somewhere that I already knew was, was, was a satisfying, you know, scenic experience. Um, but then also, it, it also had a Mike Hartley record, um, much like the Penn Way the previous year. They had run it, you know, 30 years ago and, and no, one had, no one had beat the record. So that made it quite appealing. Um, and yeah, off we off we set in in late May. Um, weather was the weather was a bit a bit mixed, but I, I kind of prefer it to be a bit cool. Um, and it was was all going very well until it wasn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I got sort of yeah, I was two and a half hours ahead of the record, so you know a fairly comfortable buffer. I didn't anticipate getting much further ahead than that because it was you know it was getting more difficult. But ultimately, yeah, it got more difficult in the nighttime, but I was still maintaining at least at least two hours, if a bit more, um, on the record. But then on the second day, I started getting um, well confused. Is is the best way of putting it? Um, and I suppose I was behaving as if I was as if I was drunk. Um, yeah. I was a bit confused about where we were going. I was asking. I was sort of being a bit suspicious of my paces, even though they were friends and really experienced, and knew knew where they were and. Uh, at one point I said to my crew, uh, where, where are these people taking me? Um, uh, and then I, yeah, I was losing my balance a bit and falling over um, and getting quite weak, you know, weaker and slower than, than I normally would be after that sort of, of course, you're slowing down a bit, you're tired, but, yeah. you know, I've gone gone on the Penaway, I went through sort of, you know, two two nights and this was only one night and um and I, I started losing all interest actually in, in the record, really. I just knew there were some people running with me and they were sort of bullying me, it felt like, because um, they were aware that I was really slowing down and I was letting the record slip away. And so they were constantly sort of saying, come on, come on, you know, get a move on, you can do it sort of thing. And I, I was actually getting quite annoyed, <laughs> quite annoyed with them. I don't, I don't know how verbal I was, hopefully not too much. <laughs> but yeah, I was quite confused about what we were doing, where we were going. Um, which it seems really silly when you think, I don't know, for months beforehand, that's all I could think of, you know, it's all I've been planning towards. Um, and when I finished, um, whoever was recording it had quite a, a shaky, wobbly hand because I looked like I had quite a lean uh, on me. Um, and yeah, it transpires afterwards. Um, we're pretty certain, you can't be 100% certain without blood tests, but it, it, we're pretty certain I got myself into a state of hypo hyponatremia yeah. which basically means overhydrating. Um, I'm a bit embarrassed about it because I'm you know I'm a coach and I've been doing this about 10 years as well um, and I always thought that that was a problem that happened to kind of you know first timers at the London Marathon who might be a bit nervous and just think oh I must hydrate I must hydrate and yeah. either beforehand or during a race would essentially just put too much water in but what's also important though is the balance of water and salt um, and at one point I did stop taking electrolytes and I'm quite a salty sweater normally I've had myself tested with uh, precision hydration um and it looks like I, yeah I, well well here the key thing is 
I think the, the important thing is to go back to you know, the advice of drink to thirst, because that is what I'd normally do, drink to thirst. But for some reason, I got into my head that I could hydrate a bit better. Yeah. And so I was sort of targeting um, 500 mils an hour. And we think even including food, I only had 400 mils an hour, which doesn't sound like loads, does it? Um, that's like, you know, not even a soft flask. Yeah, yeah. But it was very cool. Um, it was, you know, cooler than it normally would be in May. Um, and of course, I went for a day, a night and a day. So even if you're just doing a little bit too much, a little bit too much, you know, it was 30, 39 hours. So, you know, just a tiny bit too much for 39 hours is actually quite a lot. Um, and I, yeah, and I foolishly cut my salt out. Um, and yeah, that, that, for those who don't know, hyponatremia can, can be fatal. So um, it was kind of, looking back, it was kind of both comical and alarming. Um, yeah. And I guess it's, I guess it's reassuring that that's the only time it's happened to me or that I know of. Um, but, but at the same time, it can happen quite easily to even someone quite experienced. And at the time, I had no idea it was happening. You know, when you're dehydrated, I think most of the time you kind of know, don't you? And it's quite an yeah. easy fix yeah. with being overhydrated. I had no idea. And, and it's, it's not so easy to fix. Um, I mean, obviously, you've got, you need to stop hydrate, stop drinking. Um, but there was a study uh, in the last few years at Spartathlon, actually, which showed something like, ah, I think it was 30 to 40 percent of finishers were in some sort of state of hyponatremia. Now, obviously, that's a long, long race and a hot race yeah. um, where that's more likely to happen. So somehow I've, yeah, I've managed to do it on a, in a cold, <laughs> in a cold outing in Britain, which is uh, quite impressive. But yeah, I'm keen. I'm embarrassed about it. But I'm keen to talk about it so that it doesn't you know, happen to yeah. other people because it could, could get really serious um, for some people. Well, I, I saw the footage of it as well because I was, I was tracking you along the way and the, oh, the finish, the footage at the end. You know, it was it was quite a real it was real lean you had on you, and you're right, it did appear it was as if somebody was drunk. You know, that, that's that's yeah. what it was. Um, and then somebody handed you a pint, and I I think I remember you saying to me before that you don't drink. So I was like, does he even know that he's drinking a pint? Or, <laughs> you know? I would say, yeah, I don't tend to drink, but at the end of you know, I'll regularly go several months without drinking, but at the end yeah. of something like that. Uh, I'm usually happy to have a drink, but it's funny actually. I think I had one sip, and then I kind of put it down. I think I knew I didn't really want any more liquid. Yeah. Uh, and actually, Nikki Ligo, who was in my crew, had asked. She was beginning to realise what was going on. She had asked my runners not to give me uh, any more liquid. Actually, in the last few miles, because she was beginning to realise. Um, but yes, all very strange. And there's a video actually someone took of. Um, I think it's just a local guy sort of videoing as I come around the corner and he's got the video camera running and I come around the corner and he goes, Jesus Christ, <laughs> as if he's seen a monster. And you kind of think, oh, crikey, where well, I wasn't. Yeah, I haven't watched that one back very much, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a bit of a mess. But apparently, you know, at that stage, my brain was was sort of kind of starting to swell, which um, which sounds like a good thing because it's obviously not a very big brain and it would have got a bit bigger. But, but apparently that's not apparently that's not a good thing. Um, but yeah, all OK now. Yeah, good. It's it's it is crazy, and I just you know I've I've asked other I've had other other ultra runners on this podcast, and I've asked them the question, you know, how much of these sort of long distance, really long events that you are you know you specialize in, how much of it is physical, how much is it is mental, but on that on the same token, I'm I'm thinking as I'm asking this for you on this one, 
you weren't really even aware of what you were thinking. <laughs> so like, but you know, where do you think that is? How much percentage do you think it's mental and how much is physical? And, you know, and how did you get through it if you weren't really aware of what was going on? I must say, yeah, I must credit the, credit the sort of team around me. Um, you know, my pacers and my crew, you know, they were very determined to get me there yeah. for, you know, under that time limit. So in the end, I only broke the record by 18 minutes despite being sort of two and a half hours ahead. So that's kind of the, t- the amount of time I lost in the last kind of three hours really slowed down. There's some comical video footage of me kind of running and all the people around me are walking and they're going faster than me. Um, so that's the, <laughs> that's the sort of state I was in. Um, yeah, I'd say normally I, the mental side has got to be at least 50%, probably much more. Yeah. Um, obviously, the, I think the fitter and stronger you are, the less you have to sort of rely on the mental, the mental side and, and the tactics you might have and the motivations you might have. Um, but it's at least 50. And the longer something goes on, the more mental it is, uh, it, you know, pun, pun intended in a way. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, it could. I, th- I think, you know, towards the end of 100 or something much longer, it's really got to get up to sort of 70, 80, 90%, yeah. 90% of, of, of being, being psychological, I think. Um, but I, I really like that about the sport because it's not, it's not the biggest people or the strongest people physically or even the fastest people who, who, who tend to do the best. It's, it's often, you know, what's going, in up, what's going on upstairs. And I, yeah. I like that. And so it's a very, very much a team effort then, and of course, the whole course. How much people did you have supporting you? Yes, I oh, know. I I feel very very blessed and lucky. And and this is yeah, we're going back to sort of the the sort of paradox really of me trying to be a sort of self styled eco warrior of sorts. And and but I knew so obviously doing a running adventure that the the lowest carbon way to do it would be to you know do it totally on your on your own without without support of other people. And, and I'll be honest, you know, people were driving to, to come and help me. Um, I have, I have, and yeah, p- people might not agree with this, but I have offset all of that. I've um, bought them all a tree. Um, and, and we tried to, you know, use local people as much as possible. Um, and, and quite often in the past, I've used public transport to do these things, but obviously with, with the virus and, and so on, it's not always the best, you know, uh, the smartest choice at the moment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, though I usually had two people running with me, and I had a crew of um, a crew of three, um, and I like to have two or three just because if you're going for a night, then someone can sleep, and yeah. it's more of a safety aspect. Um, and again, yeah, every time I debate, you know, do we use try and use an electric vehicle, for example, for the crew? But at the moment, it still seems like it just adds so much stress to them. They've often, you know, they often only get to the next place you know, not long before I get there. And, and yeah. you know, if they, you know, essentially I'm better off breaking the record and then people interview me and I can chat about climate stuff or I can do it, you know, with less emissions and I may well not break the record and then no one's interested yeah. <laughs> um, or at least there's a lot less interest. So to me, I, it's worth being a little bit of a hypocrite and a little bit imperfect. Um, and then I can hold my hands up and say that, but, but, you know we get to discuss these these bigger bigger aspects to me I, it's worth it um yeah i think i think yeah and i was i wanted to touch on recovery with you um because it's something that you know we're all about promoting as a as a brand as well and you know there's there's the gen general day-to-day recovery i was wanting to ask you about is you know if there's any particular you know methods or modality or, or anything like that that you are doing you know daily or weekly or whatever but then also on top of that 
how the hell do you recover from something like that coast to coast? Um, I think recovering from something like that is, yeah, first thing is, uh, you know, all the food. Mm. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll always be in a big calorie deficit after that. And there'll be at least two days, but sometimes even kind of best part of a week where you, you know, I did have four breakfasts after this. I made my, not the next morning, I think, but the morning after that, I broke my record and had four breakfasts. Um, I think I'd woken up, but that's the thing. Yeah. The next few days, you don't necessarily sleep that well, or I don't, mm. you know, whether it's some, some discomfort or, or just upsetting your body, I suppose, getting out of rhythm by missing a night's sleep. Um, yeah. I, I would say, yeah, recovering some, from something like that. I mean, I'm, if it's hundred miles or more, I, ne- I never run for, for a week um at least and then it's just you know 30 or 40 minutes super easy you know just testing out how you feel or maybe a bit of time on the bike just there's just no rush because you've just given yourself the biggest sort of aerobic boost you can so to try and be adding to the you know adding more to the aerobic engine just doesn't really make much sense really you're much more likely to get yourself into trouble um so it's super easy for a while um but i think the two big ones are yes sleep and sleep and food and there's a really good book called Good to Go by uh, an American journalist with a, with a sort of slightly German name, Christine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Something. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good book. Um, and she goes through all these different um, methods and, and um, such as, you know, compression wear and foam rolling and, and um, protein shakes and, and, and so on. Um, and she doesn't say they're all useless, but, you know, she says... You, as you can probably guess, it ends up with the number one thing you can do is just sleep yeah. more, you know? Yeah. Um, so sleep is, is, is vital. And, and I'm, you know, I'm in my forties now. I always, you know, I'm always aiming for, uh, almost always aiming for, you know, eight hours. Um, and I feel it really, I, I really feel the effect of sleep nowadays. Um, if I haven't, you know, if I haven't slept well, um, so sleep and then yeah, e- eating, eating, hopefully mostly good stuff, but I, I certainly have chocolate and cake regularly. Um, um, but eating enough, um i'd say the day-to-day thing and then yeah i I foam roll the science is a bit mixed but seems to work for me i feel like i find little knots and knots and so on that i didn't know about um foam rolling regular massage or 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 sort of physio checkups um i do use a a sort of um muscle gun a bit at the moment as well they they seem to be quite good um what else i suppose yeah i do i do have i do in case i'm not getting the protein in I do, I do have some protein powders sometimes from, from 33 fuel. Um, but I think food and sleep are probably the big ones. Sleep yeah. possibly even bigger. Um, uh, yeah, they're probably my main ones. Probably it's probably the, the boring stuff that most people know, <laughs> that, but don't always do, I suppose. Yeah. Cause, cause how, you know, in a general sort of training block or whatever, you know, what sort of volume are you doing in a week? Either hours, cause I know you do some cross training stuff as well, or mileage or things like that. What are you generally getting? Um, yeah, I, I probably do less kind of less running than I used to. Uh, as I say, I mean, I'm 45 now. Um, and and probably a bit less than yeah some of the other well if you look at the sort of start list for UTMB I'm, I'm probably yeah running running less than a lot of those but but yeah always one day off um, and then most weeks are going to be in the kind of sixty to seventy five miles of running areas and then right now when I'm just building up for UTMB there, there are some bigger weeks but not I used to run kind of eighty ninety miles almost year round and I think. 
for a while that helped and then for a while that was probably unhelpful um, um and you've sort of got to have the lifestyle around that as well i think if someone's got a busy job and maybe a young family at the same time that's probably not all three are sustainable yeah. with that sort of mileage um and apparently your body doesn't really know yeah cortisol the cortisol um hormone which is kind of a stress hormone like apparently it can't really tell what's causing the stress whether it's running stress work stress life stress yeah. so you've got to be a bit careful with that um so yeah but i do do additional kind of i do do quite a lot of strength work nowadays which maybe you would count as you could count as recovery i suppose but i mean obviously yeah. when you're doing it it's not really but it's um yeah hopefully hopefully keeping me strong and, and good technique and helping my running economy and so on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it looks roughly like that. And you, you mentioned there that you're 45 um, and you, you got into running relatively late in life, didn't you? Yeah. I think I was 30, yeah, 35 when I did my first half marathon, really. Um, I mean, I had, I had, I had enjoyed running at school Um and I did win some cross country races, but they weren't, you know, it was just two or three schools getting together. And it was kind yeah. of sixth form age when a lot of the other kids had discovered sort of cider and cigarettes. And I was just a bit slower <laughs> to that. And, and I just felt like, oh, where are all the fast, where are all the sporty kids gone? Oh, they're all, you know, they're all behind the hedges smoking. I'll, I'll, I'll go and win a cross country race. So it didn't feel like, it didn't feel like, I don't know. There's part of me wondering if I pursued it a bit more there, but um I didn't, you know, I much preferred playing football. Um, so I didn't pursue it. I didn't really run for another sort of 20 years, really. Um, and then I did a half marathon in 2011 and just just loved it and, and thought I want to do more of this, really, and yeah. just got a bit carried away. <laughs> and now it's a uh, 100 mile, 200 miles. So the half marathon obviously wasn't enough, was it? <laughs> yeah, well, definitely early on, there was that curiosity of, okay, I've done a half marathon what does a marathon feel like? Could I, could yeah. I do a marathon? And then, and then not long after it was my first ultra marathon. And then the next year it was my first hundred K first hundred miles. And suddenly I was doing the spine race, which is 260 miles. Um, so yeah, I did get carried away, I think, but I, above that, I just loved it. I just loved yeah. those adventures. You know, they felt like adventures. The running was almost secondary. Um, and yeah, it just felt like. I, you know this suits me i love this stuff yeah and, and what so what is the longest run you've done then um 630 miles um so that was on the <laughs> obviously i stopped for sleep but yeah. not much <laughs> um that was on the southwest coast path in 2016 um so there was a yeah i was chasing a record on that um and really yeah the well, it's a long story, but most of the time I, there was only enough time really for like three hours sleep a night, yeah. um, which isn't all that healthy. I should should say. In fact, when you, I, I've heard one sleep expert, I've forgotten his name and qualifications, but he he was suggesting that missing one night's sleep is, you know, it's like mild concussion. Um, so yeah, I didn't actually skip a night's sleep on that one, but I was only getting three hours, and after a while, I mean, yeah, quite a quite a wreck after a while, and and I think I had some level of fatigue for the rest of the year actually from that um so not not super healthy but you know great adventure um yeah. it's good good fun at the time mostly and of, of your you know your career so far what's been the biggest challenge either a race or experience and what's been the biggest highlight oh uh 
Oh, cripes. Well, I think biggest highlight was, was probably, probably placing fifth at UTMB in 2018. Um, but I, the last year when I ran the Pennine Way and set a new record, that felt like an equivalent. Those two feel like the, the kind of best moments in my running. Um, until that rascal John Kelly went and beat it. Um, in terms of biggest challenge, it, it might have been, that's a good question. It might have, well, that Southwest Coast path was, <laughs> that, got, that got pretty tough, but you're just so tired, you know, yeah. um, that got pretty tough. Also, I mean, the first spine race, I was kind of way out of my depth. Um, that got quite uncomfortable, you know, sleep deprivation was my first taste of sleep deprivation um you know massive hallucinations falling asleep you know on, on the trail and or, or or trying to curl up and sleep on the ground but the ground was sort of so cold that you could, couldn't sleep and it was just a you know this nagging feeling in the back of my head of if i fall asleep here will i actually wake up because it was you know it was it was properly cold um and i still don't know whether i should have yeah should have slept or not but I, I didn't couldn't really sleep i wanted to and it i couldn't um yeah, that first spine race was was quite epic. Um, yeah, that's probably between those two, the spine race and the Southwest Coast Park. Yeah. Okay, very good. And I wanted to ask you, every, well, obviously some future plans in regards to what races have you got coming up. But also I was chatting to you before and I, I said I was running today on the West Highland Way. So is there any more, any more uh, chance of coming up to Scotland to race? Oh, yeah. I mean... I mean, you've got some great races up there. I, 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 and I did the Highland Fling a few years ago and absolutely love it. In fact, sometimes people say, what's your favourite UK race? And although I've got a thing for the spine race, the Highland Fling was absolutely one of the best races I've ever done. Um, sells out in minutes for those who, for those who aren't familiar with it. And it's kind of half the West Highland Way, the first half, yeah. the southern half. Um, that's a fantastic event. Um, and yeah, one day I'd love to do the, the West Highland Way race because that's a real classic. Yeah. Um, I have to, I've done a Ramsey round, but um, I guess the idea of doing it in winter appeals, but I probably have to smarten up a bit on my navigation and things like that. Um, yeah, no, there's lots going on in Scotland. Then the, the whole sort of Glencoe skyline scene. I, I don't think sky running is quite, you know, doesn't suit me as well as longer distances, but you know, that, that's an amazing um, series of races there. Um, yeah. There's so much going on in Scotland. Um, I guess it's just, I'm down in Wiltshire. It's just, that much further away so um yeah yeah you have to sort of plan a trip in and, and um um but yeah no we've got family friends in scotland as well so we yeah definitely should should return soon yeah and what what, uh, what races have you got on the rest of this year then so yeah at the moment i'm sort of training as if utmb uh will be on um difficult to be sure they seem they seem quite you know, quite confident, um, but, you know, impossible to know at the moment, isn't it? You know, things are changing all the time. Um, so yeah, aiming for that. And, and if that's not on, I've got two or three backup ideas. Um, so yeah, aiming for that one. Cool. And you probably don't want to say, but cause you'll, somebody might go and pip you first, but is there any few, any more FKT attempts or any challenges that you want to be doing anytime soon? Yeah. Yes. Yes. And no. Um, yeah, I do have a list. I do have a document of sort of um, ones that appeal to me and, and they're kind of in order of, of which ones appeal the most. Um, yeah, no, definitely. I've got 
and there's probably 10 on that list yeah. um, in the UK. So, um, but I will disappoint you possibly. No, I thought that may be the to case. myself yeah. for now. <laughs> um, yeah, no, there, there are lots. I mean, you know, partly when you run the spine race um, or, or when I yeah ran up the Cape Bath Trail, which which we haven't mentioned actually, which is obviously north northwest Scotland, which is absolutely gorgeous. Um, what's amazing is you know there's a huge population on this island and a lot of a lot of urban places, you know, a lot of cities. Um, but actually, you really still can escape a lot of that if, if yes. you um, if you sort of put the effort in. Um, Cape Wrath Trail, especially, uh, is just wonderful. I would love to see that in summer sometime actually because. I ran it with my friend Beth Pascal in, in the winter of um, what 2018, um, which was yeah, just a wonderful experience, but it was dark two thirds of the time, you know? Yeah. So um, um, it would be lovely to go back and see that properly some, sometime. Um, yes, yes, there's so much to do. Just on, just on our, our little island, there's plenty to do, isn't there? Yeah. Cool. Well, you know, thanks a lot. And I want to do a couple, well, three roundup questions I ask every single guest. So I want to ask you, Damien, your top tips in three areas. So your top tip for improving performance, your top tip for improving recovery, and your top tip for improving sleep. So firstly, your top tip for improving performance. Um, I would say mostly mostly easy and sometimes fast <laughs> simple as that yeah yeah it kind of is i think i think yeah I, I what i noticed from my coaching is um i think not enough people run easy enough a lot of the time um yeah, yeah should be mostly easy you know 80 percent easy um yeah. and then and then hopefully you're fresher for when you need to run fast and then you get you get those adaptations um yeah Cool. And we've probably covered it already, but you can pick one, your top tip for improving recovery. I would just say sleep. Yeah. Sleep more. Um, and that links nicely to number three as well, I suppose. Which yeah. Is, so what's your top um, tip for improving sleep then? I would say put your, put your phone down. Uh, that's something I could work better on. Uh, my problem is, yeah, I've, I've got a tendency. I do love podcasts um, except when I'm on them. So I might not listen to this <laughs> one. Sorry. Um, but I do quite like going to sleep listening to a podcast, but it means my phone is nearly always by my desk. Um, so I, I think I would sleep better and sooner, actually, probably if I left the phone in another room. So, and we're probably a lot of us are guilty of that. So, yes, put your phone down sooner. That's, def def that's definitely one. That's definitely one that comes up a lot is people scrolling late at night in bed. Mm. Yeah, bad, bad, bad. Oh, well, thanks very much, uh, Damien. Um, where can people find or follow you where can they keep up to date with what you're up to oh i'm probably quite easy to find uh, I, I think i'm on most of the social media stuff i'm not on tiktok yet i, I think i'm too old for that but um I, I do like instagram the most um i'm i think i'm ultra underscore demo because my name was taken so um yeah instagram strava stuff like that feel free and uh, and I'll do, I, and I'll do it. I'll plug the book. So it's in it in it for the long run, breaking records and getting FKT, which I like. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> so yeah, buy the book. I've got it right here. Thank oh, thanks. <laughs> thank you very much. So, Don't waste your time reading it though. <laughs> no, awesome. Thanks a lot for for coming on the podcast, Damien. It was great to chat to you, and I. Wish you all the very best for UTMB. Hopefully it all goes ahead and we can cheer you on at that. Thanks, Brian. Take care and happy running. Cheers. Thanks, Damien. See you later. 
Thanks so much for listening to the latest episode of the HBHM podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Just a reminder that you can get 15% off at checkout on hbhm.com by putting in the code HBHMPOD. Please share the latest podcast on socials at Instagram. We are at HBHM official and we look forward to speaking to you next time.